Blog Talk Radio. Cats and Hep Kittens, we are back, and I am your host and cruise director, Madam Perry. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, and you know I love that doorman. Um, we are, uh, oh gosh, got so much stuff going on right now. You know, we've had so many good shows, so many great guests, and so many more to come, and it's, of course, all thanks to you because I really appreciate your support when you subscribe to Madam Perry Salon on either uh, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast FM, Last FM. When you subscribe, when you download, when you share with your friends, you keep it going and help me to keep getting great guests to entertain you. And I appreciate all your comments and your messages and suggestions. And tonight is also going to be a great night. But first of all, you know, coming up next week, um, next week I've got um, Maggie Lynn. Karen Heidel, and she is a sci-fi fantasy writer who has a couple of web TV series as well. And she called in when Terrence McNally was here. And, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Also next week, uh, on Tuesday, you have May McCarthy. When May McCarthy was on here last year on Madame Perry Salon, she was talking about finance. You know, she's been a, a television contributor about finance for a long time, and this book, though, is about forgiveness, and you think forgiveness can not only give you, um, you know, just a better feeling, a better life, a better spirit. She said there are some tests that show, some studies that prove it can also make you smarter and more efficient. So we're looking forward to having Mae McCarthy back to tell us about that. And But tonight I am so excited to bring tonight's guest. You know, I've been bragging. I've been talking about this. And yesterday I was at a cookout. And uh, and the first thing someone said to me when I came in was like, well, you've got an interesting guest on there tomorrow. And I said, yeah, yes, I do. And I'm very excited. Uh, she is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, some of her titles are Wages of Sin, Fortune Hunter, Wasted, uh, Breaking Point, Secret Sex Lives, uh, which I subtitled a year on the fringe of American sexuality kind of reminds me of our other Susie that's on here sometimes, um, Susie Parker, who has uh, written a lot of nonfiction as well as fiction, and she even took a uh, some time to do a book uh, research on American sexuality. Very interesting. I got two Susies. I wonder if there's like a twin connection or something. I don't know, but I am so very glad to introduce you to my guest. Susie Spencer. Susie, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Thank you very, very much for having me. 
when I hear Madam oh, Harry, I think I'm back in my sex research. <laughs> you know, like the madams in the world of bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. Call me madam, and I don't mean Pearl Mesta, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off there. But... Oh, no, this is great. This is a great beginning, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I can roll with the improv. This is this is riot. Because the funny thing you say that because I used to when I when I uh, had a jazz band I would say something like I and this is I introduced the band you know this is the bass guy the guitar drummer and I'm your host and cruise director Heidi Fleiss. So yeah, it's kind of um, it's like a throwback. So well, it's it, it's it's also interesting that um, I'm sort of flashing back or whatever that. Um, when I, because we're going to talk about Andrea and Rusty Yates, the reason I was free to do that book is there was a ner- another murder that happened, and it involved the wor- world of sadomasochism. And I actually pitched the book to my agent because it had everything she told me she didn't want, and I just sort of pitched <laughs> it as a joke. And she's, she, then she went, yes, I will. we want that. We can sell that one and everything. And then we got an offer on it, and I turned it down because I went, I just cannot live in the world of sadomasochism for a while. And instead, then a few years later, after the Andrea Yates case and everything, and I needed uh, some laughter, I turned around and started writing about sex and the world of bondage, domination, and sadomasochism. <laughs> For laughter, you say? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. So kind of like, kind of like going on about crime, and then you need to sort of cleanse the palate with something else. Yes, I guess, I guess yeah. that was my sherbet or whatever. Huh? <laughs> oh, or your coffee. You know, when you're when you're when you're sniffing different fragrances, they give you the little coffee grounds to sniff to kind of you know. So, this is so that the scents don't mingle, you know, in your olfactory system, so that it kind of freshens that. Very interesting. You know, you've got uh, – I'm just so amazed, you know, going through everything that you've done. I've been reading your books for years. I've well, read um Wages of Sin. Oh, oh, no, thank you. And I'm going to tell you something else. I'm a big fan of true crime, and some of your sisters and brothers in the genre have been on here that you know. You know, Catherine Casey, Diane Fanning. Yes. Uh, you know, Matt Phelps. Uh-huh. Uh huh. See Michael Fleeman, and they're just absolutely delightful folks. But I never say this to the guys, but I tell the women when the women are on, I say, you know, as many true crime books as I read, because I'm just fascinated by human nature mm-hmm. and what people will and won't do, and what people think they can get away with, you know. But uh, there often seems to be, not with all males, but with some of the, some of the male authors, there always seems to be a point in the books about two-thirds of the way through where I start feeling like the guys are just like adding in words, like they've got a word count to fill. <laughs> not all the guys, not all the guys, not everybody listening. But with women, I never feel that way. It's like everything is, you know, it's only what you need. And everything there, needs, but just... there is some filler in my first book, Wasted, which my editor insisted that I put in there. And the interesting thing is, that's the part people caught say isn't interesting in the book. <laughs> you know, it's like 
some technical court stuff or something, and people say, oh, why did you put that in there? It's so boring. And when I read it, I went, oh, why is that in there? It's so boring. So, But that's the only book that I had filler in. The rest, it's cut, 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 cut. In fact, Diane Fanning, I think it was on uh, Breaking Point, the Andrea Yates case. I had just too much in there, and Diane helped me cut some stuff. She's fantastic. <laughs> I really like her because, yeah, w- Wasted was was the first of your books that I read uh, uh-huh. way back, and then I also read Wages of Sin. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a world. I don't know if uh, what what draws you to write about true crime. I actually fell into it. Uh, I had no desire to write true crime, but a friend of mine came to me and said, there is this really trashy story, and you have to write it. And I went, why? Why don't you write it? Because she was uh, from Atlanta, and, you know, she's a writer, and she always considered herself an Atlanta blue blood. And so I kind of always thought the book, which ended up being wasted, was probably she thought was beneath her, but it wasn't beneath me, a Baylor University student, you know, or graduate. (laughs) And so I, you know, my career was going nowhere. I really wanted to be a novelist who was a cross between um, Larry McMurtry and Jackie Collins. And my, but but that was going nowhere, so I did a little research on uh, the wasted story and thought it seemed pretty interesting, and the prosecutor on the case sat down with me, and then a friend of mine many months later called me up. Oh, wait, wait, no, I, I left a step out. In the meantime, I sent a letter, this was back in the days of snail mail, to an editor I knew, and said, oh, happy birthday or whatever, just chit-chatting about life, and then said, oh, by the way, I'm researching this book, and gave her a one-sentence synopsis on it, or, you know, researching this murder. Unknown to me, she bumped that letter up to her editor-in-chief, and six months later, he called me up and said, do you have a proposal on this? And I just happened to have one because another friend of mine had said, you know, there's this agent looking for, you know, true crime books. Why don't you hit him up? And I did. He wanted me to make a bunch of changes to the proposal that I didn't think were right. But he was, in truth, he was correct. I should have made the changes. But anyway, bottom line is just based on that one-sentence synopsis on a happen chance to, you know, an editor, I ended up getting my first book deal. And so that's how I say I just fell into it. And so oh. it ended up that apparently I was good at it, and they wanted another book. <laughs> so, and that was Sounds like it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, by the way, if you're listening live and you want to come in and talk to Susie Spencer, the number is 646-716-9922. Two two that's six four six seven one six nine nine two two, which is, Blog Talk Radio assures me is a toll free call in the continental U.S. And also some people, um, some people, the, the folks that message in their questions to me via Facebook, maybe you don't have a phone or you're at a day gig and can't make a call. <laughs> I'll be checking for your comments and uh, questions as well. Okay. So, well, sounds like like the like the stars lined up, and it was meant to be. 
the way this happened. So apparently, I think so. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So listen, I've got a, I've got a, uh, I've got a caller on the line already for you, Susie. Hi. Uh, wait, wait, wait. But, by the way, I hope you like the genie bottle that we're in here. You know, I, I hope love you're comfortable it. and got a big cushion. Oh, okay, good, good. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have a call on the line. Welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Come on in. Say hello to Susie. Can you can you hear me? Hello. Is this Sherry? Hi. Can you hear me? Hi, Sherry. Hi. Hi. Hey, okay. <laughs> hey. All right. Welcome. Okay. We've got a we've got a cushion for you in here. This is uh, Sherry Rabinowitz, author and podcaster of uh, of host of Chatting with Sherry, and uh, Sherry, say hello to Susie Spencer. Hi. Um, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm curious about your uh, your story because um, it's usually not that easy to get published. Was it a long process? Um, in the world of true crime, it can be pretty fast. Well, let me wait. Are you talking about when I first got published or when the books come out? I mean, the, no, when you. When you first when you first got published, uh, okay, yeah, it's, the story yeah. you're telling. It was a long, long road. I started writing my first novel in, oh gosh, probably 1976 or so, and then I spent probably 20 years getting rejections, two to three hundred of them at least, and then I just it just clicked. It just went with the world of true crime. It just clicked. And then, you know, I got one book, then another, then another, then another, and then another. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like don't throw away anything you write because someday somebody might want it. Yeah, That's true. seriously. That's very true. Um, well, what we were going to talk about, unless you had another question uh, about writing or publishing, Sherry, well, one thing we wanted, I wanted to really focus on tonight, first of all, um, is the book Breaking Point, which um, I believe was first published in, what was it, 2005? Oh, no, no, no. The, the original edition came out uh, in December 2001 or January 2002, just right before Andrea oh. Yates' first trial. Okay, that's right. And then for some reason, I read it then, and, you know, when, when like I told you, Susie, I read it, and then for some reason a couple of months ago, I bought it for my uh, Kindle. Although uh-huh. I read the paperback before and read it again. And, um, and then you told me I got the updated version. Yes. But we've, um, I really wanted to explore and uh, the whole situation, the story of Andrea Yates, because you know, I feel um, it was so easy. I remember when the story when when the story broke. I remember it was so easy for everybody to see. You know, who was this woman? Who was this monster? And for people who don't know, this was the woman, and she lived in um, Texas. Clearly, her husband worked for NASA. Clearly, yes. And um, husband worked for NASA. Am I right? And they have five children. She was a stay-at-home mom, homeschooler, um, and just. Uh, just 
seemed like from the videos and things you see, the home movies, you know, just a very devoted mother. But she had some issues and she had some problems with uh, maybe postpartum psychosis and probably some depression. And so when we learned that she had one morning, she waited for her husband to leave for work and then drowned all five of her children. It was so easy for everybody to say, well, what a monster, what a horrible person, you know, who would do this? But there was a whole different story to what had led her up to that point. So could you give it to listeners in a in a nutshell? Yeah, yeah. Well, Andrea Yates uh, grew up in, like you say, in the Houston area. She was a a bit of a shining star, but a a shy shining star in her high school because she um, kept herself really, you know, had a few close friends and was very shy, but very ambitious and determined. She was in her National Honor Society. She was captain of her swim team. She was valedictorian of her class. And her whole goal was to always help people. She loved helping people, and so she became a nurse and, uh, at the famed MD Anderson you know, Hospital in, in Houston and dealing with cancer patients. And then uh, she was out swimming one day at her pool, just lying there in the water, you know, relaxing, floating, and there was this guy that she thought was really handsome watching her, and he was thinking, I'd never have a chance with this woman. And But she spotted him, and later on, she went knocking on his door and said, hey, my car got hit. Do you have any idea who hit it or anything? And they started dating. And this young virgin and Rusty Yates, a guy who had been National Honor Society, football star and all that kind of, you know, uh, uh, scholarship, military scholarship to school. They hit it off and eventually moved in together, which I think just stuns everybody, including me. And then they got married, and Rusty, in the meantime, this is the long version, obviously. <laughs> um, but it, it's such a heartbreaking, fascinating, enlightening story about how this kind of stuff can happen to anybody. Because Rusty was very involved in Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, and, and his church in high school, and everybody thought he was really devoted Christian, but he was really a questioning guy. And when he was going to school at Auburn University, he was sitting there one day and heard this guy that he considered a sort of meek, soft-spoken preacher. And I, knowing that the, the guy now the preacher i don't know how he came up with that but he said he was and the meek mm-hmm. you know preacher using rusty's words um gotten a tit for tat so to speak with another preacher debating stuff and rusty said as i was listening to this guy i i he was saying the same things i would have said to the guy and so they stayed in touch the meek and mild preacher and rusty yates and Rusty, to some degree, became a follower of this guy. He was an itinerant preacher who ran all, all over the world with his family in a bus and telling people that they were going to hell. And 
for some reason or other, Rusty was pulled to this. So then when he and Andrea got together, Rusty and Andrea, Rusty introduced Andrea to the preacher, whose name is Michael Warnecke, and his wife. And I got a copies of a lot of the letters that the wife Warnecke sent to Andrea, and they were always putting her down, telling her that she was a Jezebel, that she was a sinner, and, you know, just ripping her apart. So then um, Rusty wanted to follow them so and copy them so that as they had children and they were living in a nice house, Rusty said, I want to live in a bus like the Warneckies. So they basically sold everything, moved into a mobile home, lived in that for a while as Andrea keeps having kids. And with her first son, Noah, when he was born, she started hearing voices or having uh, delusions or where she was saying, you know, get a knife, get a knife, get a knife. But she didn't tell anyone about it. She just kept it to herself. And the bottom line, it was the first signs that she was suffering postpartum psychosis. But Rusty didn't really know about all of this. Then Rusty saw an ad in a newsletter or something where the Warneckies were selling a bus. And Rusty said, let's get rid of the, the, the mobile home. Let's move into this bus and be like the Warneckies. Well, the bus was musty and, you know, smelly and had electrical issues. For example, when I visited with Rusty mm-hmm. one night and said, can I see the bus? Because he still had it. Can I see the bus? He said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. You can't go on it. It's too dangerous. But he had just told me about you know, working on the bus with his little bitty sons and how they'd be soldering wires and everything. And so I'm thinking, okay, this bus is safe enough for like a five-year-old, but here I am in my 40s at the time, and I can't go on the bus? What's wrong with this picture? But the bottom line is that all of this, the having the babies, the postpartum psychosis, and living in the bus all came to a head and she had a nervous breakdown that she called rusty one day at work when they were living in the bus which by the way they were living in santa fe texas which you probably know is where the most recent you know school shooting happened Mm -hmm. and so um when when this happened you know that she had another breakdown he didn't know what to do. Rusty didn't believe in mental illness. He just thought it was pull yourself, you know, up by your bootstraps, get yourself in gear, get happy. And he walked in, and she was shaking, biting her fingers, and said, I need help. And so not knowing what to do, he took her for a walk in Galveston along the shore. And then he took her to her mom's house where she tried to commit suicide. And uh, then he took her to the hospital, or actually the, the, you know, 
ambulance took her, and she was put in a mental health facility. And you can stop me and ask me questions because I know this is a long story oh, here. No, because that was no, no, that was her, was that her first suicide attempt at her mother. Uh, th- there are hints that she may have tried earlier, but mm-hmm. this is the first where she had a knife to her neck. Remember her saying, "Get a knife, get a knife." Yes. Well, this time yes. she got a knife and she put it to her neck when Rusty came in. Where is she? Found her in the bathroom, and she's saying, no, no, don't let me, let me, because she was having these images that she was scared she was going to hurt her children or whatever, and so she felt like if she killed herself, then her children would be safe. But she mm-hmm. she went to a good hospital. She went to a good doctor. She got better, but Rusty wanted to have more children. Andrea wanted to do whatever Rusty wanted, and mm-hmm. so the, she went off all of her medications, and she got pregnant again despite the doctor saying, if you, will, if you get pregnant again, you know, you're going to have postpartum psychosis again, and once you have it, every bout is worse than the previous. Oh, but, good grief. But Rusty described it to me this way. He said, I thought of it as like someone offers you a new, brand new Mercedes Benz for free. So that's what his children would be, a brand new you know, Mercedes Benz, that's the equivalent of a baby. But if somebody said, if you get, if you, well, you, you take this Mercedes, you're going to have the flu for two weeks. Hey, wouldn't you take it, is what he said. And he said, that's the way we thought of postpartum psychosis, that we knew there were medications that would get her well, so we'd just take the medicines, you know, mm-hmm. and everything would be fine. But Andrea wouldn't really take the medications. She'd often put them in her cheek where, you know, and fake that she had taken them. And uh, so then when she had baby number five, her sweet little Mary, it it all started falling apart again. And then when her father died a few months later, it completely fell apart and she lost it. And Rusty didn't take her back to the original doctor or the original hospital because he was in the middle of a big project, and that was a really far drive. So he found her uh, a doctor and a facility close to their home and started taking her there. Unfortunately, um the doctor apparently was not of the quality that her original doctor was, as well as the fact that she would be released whenever her insurance would run out. I think she was allowed like a 10-day stay or something like that. So after 10 days, they would let her go and pronounce her well when she wasn't. Mm. And... I got you too. There's there's just so many. It's like every, it's like every other sentence is is a big big road sign, you know, uh-huh. a danger bridge out ahead, and everybody's just ignored it and driving on. Well, a um, lot of it has to do with ignorance about mental health issues, and that's one of the mm-hmm. good things about this book, so to speak, is 
that when it first came out, it allowed me to go on radio and TV shows talking about mental health so that people are more aware of the signs and the symptoms and know to get help, that postpartum psychosis isn't the baby blues or anything. It is an acute illness that if someone has it, you need to get them help immediately because it's a matter of life and death. And it's no shame. No, and that's true. And, you know, no matter what, and and one of the reasons uh, why I've had, you know, I'm having some extra episodes of, of the show similar to this is because I think, too, when you have, uh, you know, so many, uh, like, whether it's school shootings or other shootings or uh, suicides or one of my listeners who is a high school teacher, uh, Brett Wright, uh, he, he gets very involved with his students and gets very concerned about uh, teen suicides in there. And there are so many things we don't understand, and there are so many times where no matter what we talk about when something when a crisis happens, uh, you know, the crisis occurs, and then we all talk about here's the hotline, here's the information for this or that or the other, and, you know, we need to erase the, the stigma of mental health. You know, even First Lady Rosalind Carter, that was her platform, uh, was mental health. But I think, too, there's all everything is – these are all tragic situations, but then I think, too, with uh, people – who are very famous, very well to do, seem to be successful, like Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain. I know that's a different situation than Andrea Yates, but then people think, you know, these kind of things can happen to anyone, you know, just uh, any kind of psychosis or problems. And I've got to, I've got a comment here from a listener, um, Drew Phantom, and she, she listens to the story. She says, I'm listening, and she said, the story's so heartbreaking. And she said, you know, this is, uh, and she added in, this is Mental Health Awareness Month, um, and as a mom who has lost a child, and Drew, I'm so very sorry about that because I know you've mentioned that, but I don't know a lot about your child. But it says, as a mom who's lost a child, this is sad on so many levels. Most of the info on Randy, I think she means Rusty, did not come out in the press, but it was much easier to blame crazy. It's so easy to gloss over warning signs until something horrible happens. Yeah, Drew, you're right. You're right. Well, and that's, um, like I say, Rusty did not believe in mental illness, and there are so many people who don't believe that. I was on a radio show one time with, oh, God, I've forgotten her name, and she's so famous, it's ridiculous, um, a tall, skinny um, pundit for the Republicans, or actually for the Tea Party. Oh, Coulter? Yeah, Ann Coulter. Ann Coulter? Yeah. And, and she does not believe in mental illness. And really? it, it, it just, at least she didn't back then. So I don't know about now, but it, but she was like, you know, no, this is ridiculous. She, but it does exist, just like cancer mm-hmm. exists, just like high cholesterol mm-hmm. exists, just like, you know, heart disease exists, brain disease exists. And it can often be treated or at least controlled. But mm-hmm. it is confusing when it happens to someone you love or even to yourself because after the the Andrea Yates trial and covering that, I did not realize how depressed I was 
And actually, Lucy Perrier, who was the expert witness for the defense, came to me several months after the trial and said, Susie, you do not know how depressed you are. You have got to get help. And she hooked me up with a psychiatrist to get help. So mm. lots of times we just know things don't feel right, but we don't know what is wrong. Mm-hmm. And then also sometimes when we think we're doing the right thing, like Rusty did with getting her help, he said, I didn't know, you know, there were a difference between psychiatrists. I thought that they were all good. Hey, they're MDs, you know. Well, they're not all mm-hmm. good. And, and when you when you talk about suicide, I have been working off and on uh, for 18 years now, a book about a 12-year-old suicide. And I met with her parents the other day, and we were going over how they tried and tried and tried to get her help. But when they would talk to the doctors, the doctors would just blow them off, or the insurance wouldn't cover things. And... And so it it becomes that you have to become an advocate out there fighting, just like if you were mm-hmm. on the the battlefield, you know, fighting, you know, whatever, and you know, having all your soul going in there trying to save America or whatever. It's sort of the same thing. You have to go in there with a battle you know, mindset that I am going to be the advocate for this person. I know I'm going overboard and sounding ridiculous, but it just hurts me so that all these people are suffering and we don't know what to do. And even though I have dealt with mental health issues for years in my career and in my personal life, it's still confusing when you see something going wrong and you don't know what to do. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's like it's like uh, Drew who was listening when she says it was heartbreaking, and, and I don't think you can go on and on enough because obviously we still need uh, we still need a lot more education and a lot more understanding and paying attention. By the way, if you're listening live and you want to talk to Susie Spencer, the number is six four six seven one six. Nine nine two two. It's toll free in, in the U.S. And I do have another caller here to speak with you, Susie. Um, hello and welcome to Madam Perry's salon. And come on in and say hello to Susie. Hello. Hello. hello? Hi. Hi. Is, it, is it me? <laughs> Hi, yes, Susie. Yes. Yes. Come on in. Say hello to Susie. How Hi. are you? I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm fine. I thought I was fine until I started listening to you. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. Okay. I'm beginning to wonder. Okay, this is, this is Duffy in Georgia. Okay. Hi. Yes. So do you have a question for, for Susie? Yes. Um, I've been – I know what you're talking about with different uh, – psychologist and psychiatrist I've, I've been to several and it, it doesn't take long just a few minutes to figure out uh, that this person really doesn't get it I'm not going to get any help here mm-hmm. I need to talk to somebody else somebody that will you know somebody that will listen and somebody that understands what I'm going through and I'm I was wondering um I don't I don't know if you've 
visited suspects in jail or people who have actually been convicted uh, in jail or or uh, or at home or or what? But it seems like when I when I've seen interviews with people that uh, you can pretty much realize that all of these people are suffering from some type of mental mental disorder. Um, but, uh, and I was wondering if you if you felt the same way or if you'd seen any indications of that. I think uh, I think pretty much all crime is a mental health issue. Yeah, it's, it's it's sort of confusing about, you know, the insanity plea and knowing the difference between right and wrong because, yes, I have visited with convicted criminals and uh, have explored their mental health records, uh, their psychiatric evaluations, and generally there is some sort of abuse in their background, be it physical, emotional, you know, or sexual, or drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And like with uh, Justin Thomas, the killer in my first book, he was a drug addict, and he had watched his mother attempt suicide numerous times over his childhood. And then when he was in prison, he learned that his father killed himself, I believe with a gun that Justin had given him or something. And when I met Justin the first time, I thought, this is a screwed up guy, but if he gets the right mental health care, he can be a productive citizen. And he told me that after his father killed himself, he went to the prison, you know, doctor said, I need help, I need help, I need counseling, and they just said, oh, you know, of course you're grieving after your father did this. It's no big deal. Well, then Justin... I got transferred from Texas to California to go on trial for another murder there. And I saw him there after he'd spent 10 years in um, solitary confinement. And he was a totally different man. He was a man that I felt was so insane that he would be a danger to get out in the world again. But I I could go through every one of my books and point to the mental health issues in there. And I want to emphasize that just because you have a mental health issue does not mean you're going to be a criminal or a killer. Right. One, one of the people that I most admire is a writer here in Austin, Texas, with the Austin American Statesman who has done so many award-winning exposés. She is brilliant and has so much talent. I wish I had an inkling of the talent she does. And she is bipolar. And she, she talks about how the newspaper stuck with her when she was having her breakdown and supported her, and now she is a terrific mom, uh, does charity work constantly, does fabulous reporting. Just because you're bipolar or schizophrenic or whatever or just depressed, you know, manic depressive or whatever, 
it does not mean you can't be a productive citizen. You can be. It's just a matter of getting treatment. And I, mm-hmm. I like you, I have gone through numerous therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists and social workers. And um, you just have to go until you find one that clicks. But, you know, don't give them just one or two chances. See them for a little while. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it, they may click after a while because they're getting to know you just like you're getting to know them. Yeah. Mhm. All right. Well, Duffy, thank you so much for calling. Oh, you're not through. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I've noticed the ones that that work are like angels. They, it, it when it does click, it just um, it it amazes me. And another thing that amazes me, I think of all of the. In all of prose writing, uh, the ones that I think are the uh, the absolute best and, and the most interesting to me are true crime writers, because you have to have um, you have you go through the gamut of of emotions and you have to put them in check. Um, when I met. Uh, Truman Capote. He likes ah. to say that when I when I wrote when I wrote uh, in cold blood, I didn't use the word I one time. Oh. <laughs> and I thought this is not a true crime. It, uh, that whole story of him writing writing that I think has to do with his fascination with Perry Smith and and the uh, and the depth of uh, of that writing, and he, and he certainly wasn't a true crime writer. Yeah, he just mm-hmm. put everything. Yeah. he just put everything he had into it. And yeah, he sure did. That, people that that write true crime uh, have to have uh, have to be able to see things in, from so many different angles and. And it, it's so tricky because you you're telling the truth, you know. You have to you have to get everything right, or or uh, or you're not you're not going to be successful. It's not it's, it's probably not the thing for you. But uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, get all of your books. Well, thank you. You're <laughs> close to it. Your approach to it from from hearing you talk is just uh, it's compassionate, but it's objective, and and uh, also your your thoughts about the uh, mental health is, issue uh, for criminals and and victims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, and, very true. And the way yeah. they they interact together is is so fascinating and important. Well, thank you. No I kidding. appreciate your kind that's words. True. Duffy, thank you so much, Duffy. And you know what? Since you brought that up, that's a perfect time to say that um, Susie's website is Susie Spencer, and that's S-U-Z-Y-S-P-E-N-C-E-R.com, SusieSpencer.com. And you can go to her website. Plus, um, I will be sharing 
all of Susie's social media and where you can find her books all on my social media. I'll be saying where you can find her books, where you can find her. And, by the way, if you're listening live tonight on uh, July the 9th, Tomorrow night, Tuesday, July the 10th, if you're in Austin, go to Book People at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, Susie's going to be talking with novelist May Cobb about her book, uh, her novel Big Woods. But So you'll get, a, you'll get a double treat. You get May Cobb and Susie Spencer and Book People. So that's a, you know, win, win, win. Yeah, with May's, you're going to get free wine and free cookies, I believe. Oh, besides oh, man. that. Besides that, Big Woods is an incredible book. I I grew up in East Texas, and May did too, and it's a thriller set in East Texas that I hung on every page. I also edit a lot of books, and I did not find one boring page in that book. It's just incredible. I I think true crime friends will love it too. Okay, so get Susie's book. I'm so sorry we're just, we're running out of time. It just it just flew by too fast for me. So thank you, Susie, for being here. Please say you'll come back again sometime. I would love to. Oh, thank you. And hey, maybe um, you know if we're kind of pouncy now since you've been on the podcast, and we happen to have a mutual friend, um, <laughs> maybe I, you can use your um, you know your author showbiz uh, influence to uh, get May Cobb to come on here as well. I think we could work that out. And also, okay. I want to say, was it, was it, oh, I've forgotten her name, and I thought I had re- written it down, um, the wo- the woman whose daughter had died. I just, uh, Drew, Drew McCobb. Drew, fan. yes. No, Drew. I'm sorry, I was wrong. It was her son. I was just, sorry, I, I think I was just having a, a showbiz moment here talking to you and forgot. It's her son, not her daughter. Okay. I was sorry. Okay, I well, I just wanted to say that I'm, I'm thinking about you, and I am so sorry for that horrible, horrible loss. Okay, thank you. And she says, and she says, thank you for that. She appreciates it. So, so get through these books. I'm sorry we're out of time, but um, hopefully she'll come back soon. And Susie, yeah, my, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign off with a little something, little personal chat with me and Susie here. Since my mother knows your friend Diana's mother, my mother used to go up with her years ago and sit in on the uh, who, who, friend Diana was on Hee Haw. Um, she was a pretty blonde on Hee Haw, Diana Goodman, and, and uh, Susie Spencer. You tell me she, you were in her wedding. Yeah, and, she was. We both lived in Los Angeles, so cool. and she was my best friend out there. Well, wait a minute. Were you the friend that uh, was B.J. Thomas? No, no. Okay. I've only read the first three chapters of the book. Okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to start any kind of showbiz rumors or anything. You know, to uh, to uh, damage your your reputation. Um, no, in, no. In, I was more England. like the. I was more like the Rhoda character to um, to uh, Diana Bean. I would. I would never carry, compare Diana to Mary Richards. But I was the. Uh, you know, the, the sort of nerdy best friend. <laughs> People would Diana would introduce me to people and then would you know meet them again. They never remembered me. They always remembered Diana. So, oh, I know that's my part. You know, cause, because people say things like uh, like my friends that are that are, you know newspaper ed magazine editors and they'll say, hey, do you know so and so? I think so. Well, I got three t- tickets to go see them. You know, okay, and I'm the same. You know, they hang around and. 
don't worry about me. I'm just sitting here enjoying the show. You just talk to him. And uh, in fact, actually, one time when my, I think it was when my grandmother died, um, and Diana and her mother were at the funeral, funeral home. Oh. And of course, this was about, God, this might have been around 1984, 85. And, you know, Diana always, always, well, everybody in her family, her mother's gorgeous too, but she had on a short black leather mini. It was so cute. And my mother's cousin said, wait. Said to my mom, "You've got friends like that, and you never let me know." She goes, "I didn't let you know." <laughs> well, let's give her a plug. Her her book is called "What Is It?" Hollywood Lights and Nashville Nights by Diana Goodman. <laughs> yes, Diana Goodman and Victoria Hallman. So I know she had a book signing last Saturday morning um, in Fayetteville, and I'm. I think I'm going to be talking to her maybe sometime this week and get her on. But, yeah, we'll give her that Hollywood Lights and Nashville Nights. And uh, it's it's quite a book. Diana's a very – I don't know Victoria Hallman, but I know Diana's quite a fascinating lady. So, yeah, we'll have to have a reunion on here sometime, okay? <laughs> I haven't seen her in decades. That'd be great. <laughs> we'll All right. We'll have friends, a party on Madam Perry's salon. How about that? <laughs> that sounds wonderful. All right, so I'll be giving you all the information. Get all Susan Spencer's, Susan Spencer's books, and thank you so very much. And as I always say, everybody's got Bye, Susie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.